Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week I sit down with a different industry thought leader to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends, now those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Alan Buxton has worked for almost 20 years in the fields of data recovery, computer forensics, and worked as an educator and course developer in the computer forensic field. We'll be speaking today about his career journey and also some key turning points in Alan's career on the way to his current position as the Director of Forensics at Secure Data Incorporated. Alan Buxton is the Director of Forensics at Secure Forensics, a secure data group dedicated to exploring and investigating digitally stored information for clients. Alan also conducts research into new solutions as new challenges and products arise within the technology sector. Having worked primarily in law enforcement prior to joining Secure Data, Alan has been the recipient of numerous awards for his digital forensic casework. Spent 14 years as a computer forensic specialist with the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation before sharing his skills nationally and internationally as an instructor with Celebrate. Alan lives in Northeast Ohio, and when not rehabbing his house or training his puppy, enjoys sports photography. Alan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, so how far back does your interest in computers and security and forensics go? Was this something that you were always interested in, or did it come along later? No, it's been around for a long time. My, my dad brought home an 8086 uh, mm-hmm. when I was in fifth grade. Yeah. So I'm dating myself quite a bit, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. but that was a challenge I could not resist learning how to use. So yeah. uh, I have loved tech ever since, and uh, it's kind of fun to see how much has changed. So you've, you've been in, in the industry for a long time. Has the cybersecurity and computer forensic landscape changed procedurally or directionally since you first got involved? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, I mean, you think the internet changed everything. We knew about security and uh, all the advances and protocol changes. Uh, every new feature, even the cloud uh, as, a, as a forward multi-level platform kind of thing is, uh, keeps changing it and redefining it. So I, I, as much as you feel like you know some days, you also feel like a very big beginner other days. Sure. Now, do you, uh, is it just the tools or techniques that have changed or is it also the sort of like procedures and the, and the way people do things? Uh, a little bit of both, like all of the above, like the fundamentals, especially in forensics or recovery don't really change, but the, even the details of how you go about them uh, change dramatically. So I always tell people if you can master the fundamentals, you can always keep learning and doing, but uh, you kind of have to commit to reevaluating how those fundamentals fit in. Yeah. Um, so today we're, we're, like I said, uh, in the intro, we're going to be talking, uh, sort of doing a double path here. We're going to be talking about your current work, uh, in computer forensics, but also, uh, you know, previous positions and things like data recovery. Uh, you know, these are, these are sort of skill areas that people who are, you know, following the InfoSec site and cyber work in general are interested in getting involved with. So, uh, how did you become a senior level forensics expert? What were some of the major steps along the way and, and what were the progressions of skill sets that you needed to get where you are now? So when I started the, uh, the and again, it's been 20 years, so mm-hmm. things have changed a little bit. But back then, the only training that was really available was professional certifications. Mm-hmm. So that first big entry level was taking uh, some classes through the Peace Officers Training Academy here in Ohio and then uh, ultimately obtaining a nas- nationwide certification from the Air National Association of Computer Investigative Specialists, uh, a certified forensic computer examiner. And uh, from there, it's a matter of tacking on new training and certifications as operating systems or platforms roll out. 
Mm-hmm. Now, so it sounds like you started right with like law enforcement when you were doing this. Was that always the sort of focus for this kind of thing? Because I mean, you know, you can people some some people do forensics, you know, in the private sector and the military and so forth. Is was that was law enforcement an interest of yours in terms of computers? Honestly, no. I was uh, so getting into how you get started in the career. I worked my way through college as a tech and doing okay. data recovery. Uh, so network stuff, hardware level deployments, and then uh, recovery. And one of the guys I worked with, I told him I was graduating and that I had, uh, I was looking for something a little different because as much as tech changed then, it never really changed the big things as quite as quickly. So I was getting a little bored with what I was doing. And he, he was a part-timer. He worked for the attorney general's office. And he said, well, if you're serious about looking for something different, I'll clue you in to the most disgusting job you'll ever love. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, if it's disgusting and all of it, how do I say no? And it, it turned out it was uh, the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, the investigative arm of the Ohio Attorney General's office, had had spots open for computer forensics practitioners and were willing to train. Um, so, I'm going to um, stop you for just a sec. Your, your, your video froze here. So I'm not sure if there's a... That's not good. Yeah. Let's see if we can get that fixed. Okay. Uh, Although I don't think my looks are going to change that dramatically. Uh, is that <laughs> oh, any better? Go. Yep, that okay. works. The, um, anyway, they were willing to teach the, the, they were willing to train for the forensic side of it, but you either had to have a degree in computer science or okay. cr- functional equivalency. Yep. And uh, so I put my hat in the ring. Uh, all the experience I had working through college really paid off on that end. And, uh, and that's okay. how I got into the industry. Okay, so you you started out with basically a college degree in what computer science? I, no, actually, I have an English degree. Oh. I, uh, at the time, I was I started in computer science, and uh, and I'd been working with it so long, I found those classes to not be too challenging, and okay. I was not mature enough to flourish on classes that I could coast through. So, um, so it was get a degree and get out because you already have a career path for me. Okay, so you, so you you knew the tech stuff by knowing the tech stuff, and you had the degree which they required for the to yep. get in there. Get in. I've been working freelance since I was in high school, mm-hmm. so I had a, almost a decade's worth of experience already in the field. In in what kind of stuff? I, uh, networking and data recovery. Okay, so, all right, cool. Yeah, and so and so that was enough to get you going in the uh, forensics program. It was. It was enough to qualify me as a, at entry level, and mm-hmm. then obviously they trained on the job. Okay. Yeah, I think that's we've we've had a couple people who've who've talked about things like incident response and also uh, computer forensics, and and there's there's maybe you can corroborate this, but uh, there's a a real premium on communication skills, even as much or more so than the sort of tech background in terms of being able to convey, you know, what you're actually doing and so forth. So I, I learned as a tech that nothing's really fixed or recovered until until a client understands how it's fixed or recovered. Right. Okay. And then, and even more so now, there's an emphasis on communication, uh, especially in the forensics fields, because if you're going to go testify in court, you're being asked to explain what you've done to people who don't have your skills and background. So the communication skills are huge. Okay. Now, um, let's start. I guess let's start with. Uh, uh, computer forensics here. This is obviously sort of your bread and butter and your meat and potatoes and whatever for, you know, most of your life right now. So sort of walk me through an average day as a, a forensic specialist. What time do you start work? Uh, you know, where does your work take you in the course of the day? When are you done? And how much can you sort of turn off at the end of the day? Or are you always on call? 
You know, so, so the nice thing was the job can be fairly flexible. Um, I'll talk about it in the civilian role, and then we can go back and talk about it in the law enforcement role if you want. Please. Uh, these days, I start my day uh, when traffic is kind enough to let me get to the office. Mm-hmm. We've gone for 9 o'clock, but it's construction season, and then oh, yeah. it'll be snowy winter season. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm typically at the office till 6, 6.30. In between there, it's, it's review case assignments, uh, look at incoming cases. You know, are there problems or questions that need answered before it becomes a, a, an engagement uh, Occasionally, sales will reach out with questions as to whether or not something's possible. Uh, so I run through all that. I do get my hands dirty with some forensics still. So okay. I'll pick up a couple cases and work on that to stay sharp. Uh, and then at the end of the day, it's 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 not hard to unplug. Every now and then there's an emergency, but um, uh, I would say most days when you clear out, you clear out. It's not yeah. bad. The um, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so that, that brings up two sort of follow-up questions. One is, is that unlike, uh, you know, like an incident response thing or other sort of security things, like you're, you're very project-driven in the sense that uh, the project isn't really going anywhere. Like, obviously, you need to have it by a court date, but there's not this sense of, like, the breach has just happened, right? You're Right. We, we do more litigation and investigative support, mm-hmm. so... Um, so we don't get a lot of instant response. And an instant response team, you'd, you'd very much be waiting for the hammer to fall, which yes. is more like the law enforcement side of life. Right. So. Now, the other question was, uh, you said that you still get your hands dirty in forensic cases to keep sharp, even though someone at your position maybe, is that, am, I, am I right in thinking that that's not common? Uh, it can be. The, okay. uh, it can be and it can't be. The, the problem you have is that the more they expect you to do other things like oversee other people's casework and you know, review reports, the less time there is anyway. And, and honestly, if you're, if you're properly staffed, the forensics people should be doing forensics and their boss should be either bringing in more work for them or, or getting their work out the door. So um, in that regards, I, I do my best to stay sharp. The uh, like when I was teaching for Celebrate, I still did some cases for my local PD. As you, uh, an you, auxiliary. you froze up again here, real quick. Your video. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of day, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. All right. Stop. Start. There, there we go. go. Yep. The um, okay. Go anyway. But you can tell if you're not if you're not doing cases every week, uh, you go from having a really sharp, efficient workflow. To, to slightly less. I, I say you go from being a, a surgery scalpel to a butter knife if you're not careful. <laughs> sure. Uh, in terms of being able to get through the work. And, and I never want to be in a spot where I'm out of touch mm-hmm. with what changes. So, uh, yep. you know, if I'm asking them to work on Windows 10 machines or I'm asking questions about what they found, I need to understand the context for that as well. Sure. Now, so, I, I, yeah. I, I, are there, um, I guess, are there any sort of strategies? You know, I, we, I, I talked to someone a uh, previous guest who was, you know, in, in a, a sort of a VP of people, HR position, who was saying that there's some difficulty in getting people who like doing the actual work, zapping the bugs, catching the, catching the bad guy, that they don't necessarily want to move up to management positions because they lose some of that. Is, are there, a, you know, can you sort of explain some of the other sort of uh, enjoyments of the job when you're, when you're at that level? Or is it really just you're leaving like the funnest part behind? I don't know if you're leaving the funnest part behind. Like I aged, I found out real fast that in terms of experience alone, I aged out of finding opportunities to just do forensics. Okay. Um, somewhere at, at 10 years or so. Like um, Video froze again. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. 
you know, let's talk how good we are with tech and then we can't keep the video running. But uh, um, so I, for me, that was a little bit of a bitter pill because I really enjoy forensics. Yeah. But, um, but what you do now, part of the role now and part of the role in, as above that is to see that, foster that growth and understanding in others. So you, you kind of have to embrace the change to make yes. the most of it. And, uh, and if you can make that shift, if you, if you learn to be a better teacher and mentor, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not as hard to give that up, but, but I'm a big believer in not asking people to do what I can't at least understand or do myself. I see. So I try to stay sharp enough. You know, like my OS 10 expert can tell me every little change in between all the major releases. Right. I, I want to at least be able to look down at his reports or, or if I'm asking him to walk me through something a client's had a question about, um, I want to be able to understand contextually what that is. So Okay. I do my best to stay sharp, but it gets harder the higher up you go, certainly. Sure. And you froze up one, one, one time again. Yeah. Could, oh, yeah. my God. Wow. All right. Let's uh, start. I don't know if we have a power save thing going on or if it's just mm -hmm. USB, the fickle nature. Yeah. Weird. Um, okay. Uh, so, I guess um, moving on from that, uh, oops, now you have nothing going on. Or you have a... There we go. Oh yeah. Okay. Did that change it? Uh, it's working. I think. I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you see, you had you'd previously uh, um, sort of teased that you know there's a difference between civilian versus law enforcement. So what is what's what's the difference in that in terms of like a workday and then job loads? So in, in law enforcement, your workday is not always guaranteed to start when you think it's going to. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're very at least at BCI. You know, uh, we assisted sheriff's offices, police departments, and other state agencies with investigations. And so in a sense, you could watch the news the night before and see what was waiting for you the next day some days. Uh, other days, you know, that hammer drops at two in the morning and, and they have something on scene they need a hand with. Um, mm. so, so you were more on call and, uh, and in terms of being able to unplug, a lot more difficult, not impossible. Uh, right. You could rotate between staff or, uh, or at least get a heads up, you know, that something's coming. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to tell you it was every day you're getting woken up, but unplugging on the law enforcement side is a little more difficult, especially when you have a skill set that, that is specialized and could be needed in a variety of locations. Are there other up, upsides to the, the law enforcement side of it? Did I mean, were there other things that made it enjoyable enough to be oh, pretty yeah. much like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the variety of cases you get um, yeah. have a bit more meaning, shall we say. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything's not important, but um, <laughs> you went home every day knowing you were actively doing the best to make your yes. part of the world a little better. So, okay. yeah, a huge upside. As okay. Another thing you, you mentioned in, in passing, I just want to sort of get a sense of, you said that um, you sort of, age, you said you aged out of pure forensics role. So is that, a, is that sort of a common across the industry that after a certain age, if you're still doing just pure forensics, like you're, you're sort of falling behind, you should really be looking for like management or leadership roles? I don't think it's age so much as experience, like time in, time in, okay. but certainly once you get it, once you hit double digits, um, yeah. People are wondering why you're still only doing that. I don't know if they're wondering, but you're going to find that the jobs you look, if you're looking to make a career change, you're going to find that you're going to be offered management spots mm -hmm. and you're going to get some odd looks when you tell them you're just interested in doing forensics. At that point, you, you're probably looking more at a freelancer consulting field uh, mm -hmm. because okay. the demand is there for experienced professionals. 
Right. But they want that experience available to others, not just you at your desk. I see. Um, are there any especially interesting, shocking, or unusual forensics cases you worked on that you could share it with oh, us? Oh, man. I, yeah. Where do you want to start? The, um, at the beginning, man. <laughs> well, so computer crimes, you know, as an investigative field, it started with white collar crime. Mainframes, okay. the computer is expensive. That, that would be your first gen, really, of pra forensics practitioners. I'm probably second generation where the advent of the PC opened it up to the internet and uh, a lot of small business crime. Uh, obviously, um, sex crimes and the internet go hand in hand anymore. Sure. And then it became somewhere in the mid 2000s when we, we hit that that generation where you put a computer in everything, uh, I, it shifted into homicides, which, oh. um, yeah, no one's getting bludgeoned with a laptop. But, right. but if you think about it, the, the internet is a research tool. Yep. Uh, opened everything up. So, so most of the disturbing stories I have are the interesting ones uh, tie into people dying. So I'll give you that disclaimer and you can decide if you want to go forward from there. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, we have, we have, we have a uh, trusty editor, so we'll, okay. <laughs> we'll decide later. <laughs> one of the, one of the more memorable cases was uh, a case we here in Ohio got known as a Craigslist killer. Um, he and a, he and an accomplice, we're posting Craigslist ads for a caretaker position down in uh, rural Ohio uh, and, you know, preying on people who had nothing. You're telling them, look, if all you want is a roof over your head, I have a farm that needs someone to keep an eye on it. Yeah, Pack every, yeah. everything you own and we'll go interview for it. And then they were killing them and pawning off all their stuff. Mm -hmm. So I did the principal forensics on that case, um, which is it, memorable for the number of victims. I think mm. I want to say four dead, five attempted that we know of, and uh, and not good. I Were there any particular things that they did wrong that allowed you to sort of crack the case, or was it? Uh, well, they would have gotten caught anyway. Uh, okay. You know, when you have four people dead, you have four missing persons cases. Uh, and so the, the national and the federal clearing houses were starting to put the trail together. They were all looking at things, but. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, he met all these guys on video. Um, you know, one of them, uh, I want to say one of them, they met at a Waffle House, and the uh, the video is high def. It is crystal clear to them. The uh, And in terms of, you know, even the Craigslist ads, the IP addresses all came back to the same geographic region. Oh, yeah. Some of them came back to a residence. So he did a lot wrong to get caught, right. uh, if that makes sense. Was it, How many years ago was this? That would have been, I want to say 2013, 14. Okay. Do you there. think that, you know, not to be morbid, but like if someone were attempting the same thing now that, you know, with VPNs or whatever, that people would be, would find it easier to sort of cover their trails tech wise. Are they more savvy in that regard now? Do you think? Or? I, some people are for sure. Yeah. I think, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'll just go to Starbucks and do my thing there. Mm -hmm. And uh, cause there's 90 people connected and there are, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so many people there in that time frame, and they, and then if one of them, yeah, VPN or even things like uh, BitTorrent networks, the uh, the yep. Tor stuff, mm -hmm. there are a lot of ways to obscure your your IP. But when you get into the nitty gritty of committing that kind of crime, you create evidence in a lot of places. It's very hard to pull it off without leaving something behind to get caught by. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, do you have any particular interesting cases in, in your sort of non-crime <laughs> forensics wave? Uh, you know, I, I know you, you work in other, in other areas as well, but. 
Yeah, so on the civil side of life with the litigation support we do now, mm-hmm. uh, I can't get into too many details, but we do okay. a lot of intellectual property theft. Okay. And the, some of the stuff out there, you know, people work on or uh, or some of the things people envision that become a become a, a very lucrative industry is just blows my mind every day. So, yeah. Things I never would have considered. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, thinking, I guess we're, we're going to kind of stick with the forensics thing, thing here for the time being, but um, you mentioned that you, you know, started in forensics with an English degree, but are there any particular certifications that you think are crucial, especially since you were doing, obviously you were doing other stuff on, you know, on your own, but are there any certifications that you think are crucial to have when considering hiring a forensics professional? I would, I would look at what they have and I would yeah. go check out the organizations that issued them. What you really want to see when you're looking for a forensics professional is someone who understands how to take care of your data, your evidence, uh, because the preservation, you know, analysis can change. Quite frankly, you can change the goals or what you're looking for, but if you didn't preserve it properly, uh, you have nothing to analyze. So, uh, what you want to see, things like the CFCE I mentioned before, or the, and there's a lot of competitors out there. They're all pretty decent in that they're rigorous tests of your ability to collect and preserve as well as analyze. So um, I would say, I would say you want to look at one of those because they're all administered, you know, by organizations of people with a vested interest in making sure it gets done properly. Right. Uh, more so than maybe just a college degree. There's a lot of college degrees out there for forensics, which is by now is arguably the far more traditional path. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the lab time is limited. So even if they have a degree, you want to see if they've gone beyond the lab and, and worked through a series of tests as well. Okay. So when you're, when you're looking to hire a forensics professional, you are, are waiting, uh, you know, whether or not they have a certification that's, that's taught them to sort of collect clean evidence as much as just an experienced list of things that they've, you know, found and broken open to. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the most common mistakes that forensics professionals make along the way in terms of either preparing for a career or even in their day-to-day work? All right. So in terms of preparing for a career, I, I can't emphasize enough because we saw this at the state a lot. And that the decisions you make in, in, in your adult life, so that starts at 18 and, and does cover college, will haunt you for certain eligibility requirements. Sure, sure. The, um, and when I first hired in, uh, you know, the BCI drug policy was such that you could have tried things once but never been a habitual user. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 15, 20 years later, you know, it, it's had to mellow some. The world has changed. But uh, if you think you're going to go out and have a big bender to celebrate graduation and then be still eligible for those kinds of jobs within six months, probably not happening. Right. Uh, more importantly, you know, when people trust you with their data, they're trusting you with the details of their lives. So there's still drug test screenings. You know, um, you want to have a reputation for credibility and honesty. So don't be surprised if a, a polygraph or, or a detailed interview doesn't come up with questions from your past. So, uh, you know, something you want to think about the second you start considering that kind of career is, you know, do I need to make changes in my life? So uh, I would say start there as far as common mistakes. And then in the performance of your job, the um, most of the biggest mistake I see is people trust their tools without ever really putting them to the test. Uh, There's a reason there's not just one giant computer forensic tool on the planet that does everything right and that's because every tool has strengths and weaknesses and if you don't know those you may not know what you're missing or misinterpreting on a case uh, that, that it does cover bugs and patches 
there's a reason things get upgraded. But it, but it also includes knowing that maybe this isn't the best tool to show you certain types of data. How do, how do you, like what, what sort of day-to-day -day thing can you do to make sure that you're, you know, using your tools properly? I mean, like what, what sort of habits can you get into? Like check it with this, then check it against another thing, check it against another thing, something like that. Yeah, tool tools is a, is a really good way to test things. Like um, if your browser history formats have changed, which Microsoft did with Edge, and now they're going to change again because they're leaving behind Edge and going to Chrome. Mm -hmm. uh, by all means, use the tools that say now we support the Edge browser parsing. But take a man like the the ESE database, extensible database. Take a manual tool. Froze up one more time here. We we were doing good for a sec there. <laughs> we're doing good. What is that about a, a five minute run? Yeah, that's good. Good seven ten minutes, I think. Yeah. All right. The uh, there we go. Take a manual tool. Go okay. to source storage. Grab a database viewer, uh, or or get out the hex editor and take the time to manually decode that data and make sure that it matches what the tool is telling you. Gotcha. You don't have to do it every case, but if something has changed and you haven't checked it, uh, by all means, take the time to do it. Uh, yeah. We have a set of standard images I use that have different data structures on them. I run through upgrades and patches to, to cases. We will delay patching systems until we've had a chance to validate it. But uh, that validation is key in knowing that your tools uh, really work and aren't setting you up for a bigger headache down the line. Now, um, if you find yourself in a position or career that you don't like, and you're trying to make a switch toward forensics, uh, like what's one thing in your current position you could do today that would move you one step closer to getting on that path? If you're working in tech, mm -hmm. take the time to understand data. Uh, and I mean the structure of files, right? Yep. The um, headers and footers, the fact that it's all hexadecimal, start familiarizing yourself with that. Because when I talk about manual review, uh, or I talk about the cheapest forensic tool on the planet, it's a hex editor. Hmm. So there's a lot you can do with even uh, even a, a freeware licensed hex editor down the road, but you have to understand hex and you have to understand how that data is stored to, mm -hmm. to really start that process. Okay. Um, so as we wrap up today, um, where do you see computer forensics changing in the years to come? Are there any new types of tools or techniques that are currently uh, in like the beta stage or that are coming standard in the years to come? Any sort of procedural changes that you, you see coming? Well, there's, there's two big changes coming. The first of which will be cloud data. Okay. All right. The, uh, the tools we have now for extracting data from the cloud are, are probably first gen okay. and maybe still struggling to find a way because some of them extract data without the service provider's consent using user credentials. Others need something from the service provider. And, uh, and those sorts of cooperation levels can change overnight. So some tools work one day, some tools work the next. Hmm. Uh, and, and we really don't know what a cloud, you know, we, don't, we know that Google and Facebook and everybody keeps your data longer than what they say they do. Uh, even after an account deletion, they may tell you it's six months. But we also, there's tons of backups back in there as well. So uh, we don't really know what data they keep about your data that may be useful on a case yet too. So I think there's, there's a lot more coming down the pike on that end. Okay. And then this applies to data recovery as well, but, but encryption is only getting stronger and more prevalent, hmm. not just on computers, but mobile devices, you know, have been in the news a lot. Yeah. And then as things like car systems, you know, come under more and more scrutiny, we're going to see more and more protection there. So that's going to change a lot of things. Okay. Uh, Do you guys have know. a sort of strategy on, on, cause it, there, yeah, we've definitely talked to people about 
heavier and heavier encryption and, and, you know, DNS over HTTPS and stuff like that. Like, is that something that the forensics field has, you know, contingency plans for? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We have contingency plans. You have to, you have to know what you're up against first. So the, the yeah. first stage is discovering what the changes are uh, because obscurity manufacturers love it. And then the next step will be formalizing a process to get around it or get the data we need. Uh, it would be nice to see vendor cooperation. I don't know that we will, uh, but um, but we're getting back to understanding the raw manipulation of data, getting back into hex and how things are stored, which systems to target and which ones to not waste your time on. So a lot of research down the pike to come. Okay, to wrap up today, uh, tell us a bit about uh, Secure Data Inc. and some of the projects your organization is working on at the moment. So again, we do data recovery uh, in the same way you can specialize in forensics between computer and mobile or network. Uh, you can special, we do, uh, we offer disc and flash and tape and even uh, optical disc recovery formats. Mm -hmm. We also, uh, the security side of our life comes in avoiding data breaches, uh, getting your data back to you. We offer a series of drives that are NIST certified. Uh, encrypted as well, good for federal use, the secure drive line at securedrive.com. Uh, we're the first that offers the ability to remotely wipe a disk. So mm -hmm. if you walk off and leave your laptop someplace uh, or your bag somewhere, we can guarantee your external never gets read even if you put the, the uh, passcode on a post-it note. So wow, uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, and if people want to know more about that and your company, uh, where can they go online? They can go to securedrive.com. Or if you want to look at the umbrella for the data recovery and the forensic services, securedata.com will take you to all of those as well. Okay. Do you have any sort of uh, Twitter or social net networking presence that you want people to know about? Uh, uh, Twitter, we have at secure data and at secure forensics. My personal okay. Twitter is at Allen.Buxton. It's nowhere near as entertaining tech wise. Okay. All right. But uh, you're welcome to take a look. Okay. See what Alan's had for dinner. <laughs> all right. Alan Buxton, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Hey, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate the time. And uh, thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in Cyberwork with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search Info, uh, Cyberwork with InfoSec in your favorite podcast catcher. Finally, to see the current promotional offers available for podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro live boot camps, InfoSec Skills on Demand Training Library, and InfoSec IQ Security Awareness and Training Platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description. Thanks once again to Alan Buxton and thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.